All right, welcome back to another exciting adventure of Let's Talk About a Single Prayer for an Hour. I'm your host, the guy who wrote it. All right, so uh, we're at our fourth class now. I, let's see. Shema, Alenu, Kata. We're in our fourth class today uh, of our series on diving deep into prayer. And I will uh, remind you the reason that we uh, engaged in this class all together was this notion of prayer is used for a few different things. And I think it's really important that we always reiterate this. Prayer is common language that we find so that we have the opportunity to unify as community when it comes to something elevated and holy, right? Prayer is not the only words that can be used. Prayer are the words the rabbis have crafted to make sure that we are thinking of different pieces, thinking of different perspectives, thinking of different ways of engaging in our world. But if we don't know how the rabbis crafted, how the rabbis sparked their imagination for these prayers, how the rabbis contained and held these prayers, then we end up with a problem in which sometimes we question the intentions or the motives, or sometimes we actually just think like, why? This just feels so random. We don't even think it was negative or uh, um, nefarious, but more of like, this just feels unnecessary. And once we dive in deep and see where the rabbis are coming from, we realize that's almost never true. When you are a group of people that has the opportunity to structure and create something out of love, especially when you're inspired by the want to keep something alive, right? When the temple is destroyed, and at this point, it's more like the Pharisees who are going to become the future rabbis are trying to see what they can do to make sure we don't lose this faith, lose this intentionality that they've lived their life by, they create prayer to realign with some of the things that they had the opportunity to experience when they were a cultic faith, when they had a central temple, when they were able to live life in a community. And their challenge is, how do we do that now that we're on a global scale? Now that we're going to be dispersed, we need something unifying in its prayer. And so uh, in thinking a lot about this, I was actually talking to Rabbi Amy and I was like, how about this prayer? And she's like, well, and I'm like, how about this prayer? And she's like, well, and eventually what we got to is a lot of the prayers I wanted to first go over. They're very specific. They are the prayers that you will use just on Friday night. I was like, okay, how about we do Kiddush? Well, you only do long Kiddush on Friday night. Okay, what if we do, oh gosh, what was another one that I was thinking of? There was, there was two or three that I, oh, well, that's really, really only Friday night. So what are the prayers? What are the core pieces of our matbeah, our core pieces of ritual prayer that we can structure into our day-to-day? So any guesses? What has been kind of missing so far? Now, there's obviously a little prayer we could do. The what? The Amida. Holy moly. Did you read this book already? I'm just kidding. That's exactly right. The Amida. The Amida that the rabbis see as the, the, the meat inside the sandwich, right? The rabbis are like, if you don't have an Amida, you don't have a service. You don't have an opportunity because the Amida is their spot where they're like, catch all, catch all, catch all. And if you want proof of that, what is another name for the Amida? Anyone know? The Amidah obviously are standing blessings. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's inferred by its title that like, this is a chance for you to stand. You need to change your status. You need to be standing and, and thinking differently and not relaxed or drifting off, but to be standing and really be present. But what's another name for them? 
It's a little bit tricky because for most Jews, when do they engage with the Amidah? They engage with the Amidah on Shabbat when they come to services. But the Amidah on Shabbat is not the whole story. The Amidah on Shabbat is a combination of seven blessings, but the actual set of Amidah that would be said seven days a week are called the Shmona Esrei, which in Hebrew is 18, right? They are called the 18 blessings, which means there is probably how many prayers inside of it? This class is not a beginner's course. You guys catch on straight away. There are 18 different blessings. So let's start from the beginning. The Amidah is central to all of our forms of service. Shacharit, Mincha, Mariv. And for those who uh, adhere to the notion of a extra service for the sake of the Moshiach, the, the Musaf service, it would be central to that too. Which means if you are at a synagogue with Musaf service, you will hear and engage in the words of the Amidah four times. Because you'll say them individually and then they'll repeat them out loud. And then you'll have a Musaf service where they'll say them individually and they'll repeat them out loud. And that means that there is, it is central to so much of this. And known as these Shimona Asrei, it's because it originally consisted of 18 prayers. But how many prayers are actually in the Amidah? The answer is 19, because we actually added one later, but the rabbis are like, we've already called it the Shemona Asrei. There's no need to rebrand this. Instead, we'll have a great fact later when a rabbi wants to teach this and turn it into a podcast. So the Shemona Asrei, made up of actually 19 prayers, are formed later than you would think based on what they are. So before I dive in any deeper, when you first hear Amidah, what comes to your mind? Stand. Okay, the standing piece comes to mind. What else? Ah, the six-word blessing that you say before the Amidah is what comes. That's okay. I repeated it for you, but but yes, the Adonai Sefartaitifta. Right? These words that say, God, give me the ability to speak this truth. Let my mouth work so that I can declare your praise. So it's it's almost like a at least. I don't know if I'm right about this, but whereas a lot of the other things we talked about are more communal, this is kind of a one-on-one, like it feels that way, at least that I'm, I'm going to go into, I'm going to have, we're going to have a little talk, you and me. Yeah. So, so, and we, and we've, uh, as a culture today, it has become very, very, very predominant individual personal prayer with God. And we'll see why, because one, one of the 18 prayers gives us that opportunity. The others are quite rigidly written, but it is supposed to be said. Well, others will say that the Amidah is a set of what kind of prayers? How loud, how loud do you say them? And often people will call them the silent prayers. Right, that, that, that's actually what I meant. But they are not silent prayers. Oh. Well, yes. So the idea behind the Shmona Isrei or the Amidah of Shabbat is that you stand and that you quietly, almost inaudibly, say the words of the blessings. So the first question is, why? If it's going to be individual silent prayer, let it be individual silent prayer. If it's going to be communal prayer, let it be communal prayer. Why would we have a set of blessings that we have everyone stand that is the center core climax point of service and say, speak just loud so that everyone around you knows you're saying it, but speak softly enough that you're not uh, disturbing their prayer. What does that accomplish? Sorry. It seems like it's personal and yet it is communal. Ah, yes. So I, I think for me, 
and and it's the caveat I always give to any level of teaching at any time in any space. There is more than one way to eat a Reese's, okay? And so my answer to a Jewish question might be different than someone else's answer to a Jewish question, but I believe that it is the reminder that individuality is an important aspect to community. You have to have a space to have your own personal prayer, have a space to have your own individual conversation with the divine, but you're doing so in a community, meaning the different individual voices of a community are necessary to the cohesiveness of community. And at the same time, you can both feel like you get an individual moment and know you are surrounded by community. And that's a di- that, that there's a distinctiveness to that that most cultures just blow past. It's too complicated. So let's just blow past it, right? Either do it all together or do it silently in individual meditation or go to a, a, a silent retreat for three. I don't know how anyone does that. I can barely go like two hours without talking. A silent retreat seems crazy to me, but you can do these things. But to say, here's an individual moment, whisper more or less, say the same words as other people, have a spot to say individual prayer. And that will be this pinnacle point of our service. So where does it begin? Fifth century BCE, the fifth century BCE, what has happened in the fifth century BCE? The destruction of what? First temple. First temple. Destruction of the first temple. And you have these, uh, uh, this group called the men of great assembly, 120 men. It's the same setup that comes down to later in the Sanhedrin and other pieces. They compose the basic text to the Amidah. And the exact form and order of the blessings isn't actually codified until the first century CE, until like 600 years later, the Amidah was then expanded from 18 to 19 blessings in the second century CE. So now we're like 700 years worth of workshopping on the blessings. Okay. Under the leadership of Rabbi Gamliel, the elder who is kind of running the first rabbinic center in Yavne. So this is the group that is like, we're going to write the Talmud. Like we're, we're, they're, they're the Jerusalem Talmud. They're the other Talmud. They're the group of rabbis that stayed in the land, but just went a little further away from the hot zone. And they create this rabbinic guide and thing. And th- this additional blessing, by the way, that was added in the second century is a really interesting one. Because unlike the other 18 that we will look at and compose of different kind of deep meaning, the 19th was a blessing against heretics. It was originally meant to combat the threat uh, posed by like uh, the the Sadducees and the Sumerians and some other groups. And and like basically it was a vow against the heretics. And then if you were a heretic, you'd be like, well, I'm not saying this. Right. Like I'm not going to I would you'd out yourself before you would say this thing because of the ramifications that you would feel. And it was permanently added later. It wasn't even added permanently at that point. Later, well, when Jewish converts to Christianity began to inform the Roman authorities about things the Jews were doing. And so there again, we're like, we got to stop this. A 19th blessing will really do it. Think about the power that that small bit of narrative tells you about the Amidah. It was so important that they could sift out the bad apples, they could figure out who was hurting the community at large by sticking something in this prayer because no one was going to skip this prayer. And so even the, what they call Jewish converts to Christianity, at the beginning of Christianity, they still had prayer. They they looked and felt and sang quite similarly to Jewish tradition and culture. The, the two traditions, as we said before, I want you to remember, 
people often say that Judaism is the parent religion to Christianity. But is that true? Israelite cultic faith is the parent religion to Christianity. But Judaism, as we know it, or what many call rabbinic Judaism, is formed at the same time as Christianity, which means we're siblings. And if we're siblings, that actually takes a lot of the pressure off of two things. One, that somehow our ideas need to be revamped for a new tradition. No, no, no. We revamped them too. That's what the rabbis did when they converted this cultic faith into a faith-based, prayer-based international experience. But also that we are not archaic, right? We had a set of thoughtful processes at the same time as their development. So- 18 prayers, and we'll get into exactly what they are. And I will tell you that these 18 prayers, this entire book, by the way, this entire book is on the Amidah. That's how much there is to say that this, this, the second volume of my people's prayer book is completely on just the Amidah. And so here are. Rabbi. Yes. Just wanted to ask, did we say, or maybe I missed it, what Amidah means? Yes, so we did say it, but I will repeat it for those of you who uh, talk like I'm from the East Coast um, and I talk too fast. The Amidah, if you were to take the, there's three different names for it, right? But the Amidah is the the standing prayers. Um, Amidah means to stand, means to stand tall, to change form. The Shmona Esrei is the 18 prayers. And then we also have the idea of um, just the centerpiece of prayer. Often uh, the rabbis will call the Amidah, the Shmona Asrei, or Tefillah. They will often refer to these prayers as Tefillah, as if to say, without these, the rest of the prayers don't exist. Tefillah, which means prayer, simply this is prayer. The rabbis will often refer to the Amidah as Tefillah. When they say Tefillah in their other t- conversations, they're not talking about the whole prayer service. They're talking about these prayers still. Yes. So let's go over, if we consider the 19 prayers, let's break down what they are. The first for God's covenant with our ancestors. We, we say a blessing that God's been in relationship with our ancestors. The second is for God's power. And the third is God's holiness. Now, you know those three because those three are the same on the weekdays and on Shabbat. The first three are always the same. Next, B, the petition prayers. Petition for wisdom, petition for repentance, petition for forgiveness, petition for deliverance, petition for healing. This is the chance to have personalized prayer. In the petition of healing, we actually have an opportunity to stop and name the names of those we love who are in need of healing. The reason we do Misha Berach on Shabbat, we don't have that prayer. That prayer is one of the, 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 the ones that aren't used on Shabbat. So instead we bring Misha Berach into a different space. Petition for the years, that's for agricultural fertility in Israel, uh, for the gathering of the exiles, for the restoring of just judges, for the punishment of the heretics, that's an important one, we know that one got added, for the reward of the righteous, for rebuilding of Jerusalem, for the coming of the Moshiach, and for God to hear prayer. There's a prayer in here for God to hear prayer. And then they have the last three, which again, you will know from Shabbat, for worship, for gratitude, and for peace. Yes. So I just just had a thought picking up on what we talked about last week. You know, this whole notion of saying amen, and then you get full credit for the prayer. So one of the, the thing about the Amidah is you have to do it because there's nobody, you can't just say amen. Um, 
Can you? Well, so you are skipping about 12 minutes ahead in my intention, but let's roll the dice. Let's have some fun, right? So the Amidah, as I said, in a traditional space, how many times would you hear the Amidah in Shacharit services on Saturday morning at a conservative shul? At least, right? Because you say the Amidah once, alone, and then, and then you have this really interesting set called Hazarat Hashatz, right? The repetition is called the Hazarat Hashatz, which is a full repetition of all the blessings. Now, again, that's not on Shabbat. That's on daily worship and daily shacharit. But on Shabbat, again, there would be a, a consolidated one. But the 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 chazan repeats all of it. So on Shabbat, that's seven blessings worth. All seven are repeated out loud after you've had the chance to pray them individually. The rabbis have the chazarat hashats, this repeating of the amidah. And the reason that you even know about this idea of the power of amen, besides the fact that it's one of my favorite little pieces of Judaism, is that the rabbis have to make sure that everyone says these prayers. These prayers are the center core piece. These prayers are the chance for everyone to have a relationship with God. And if you're illiterate or you don't have a prayer book, what are you going to do? And so the rabbis create a second full resuscitation that the cantor does. The cantor will sing all of it out loud so that you have the chance to make sure that you say amen so that you get credit for doing the Amidah because everyone needs to do the Amidah. Now, that's really important because sometimes we talk about the history of prayer, but this actually broaches way into the emotion of prayer. Who here knows the song Shalom Rav? How about Osei Shalom? How about Yihiyuliratzon? These are all prayers found at the end of the Amidah. Shalom Rav, um, Sim Shalom, right? These are blessings that we often think of as closing prayers or as beautifying prayers, prayers that you can literally close your eyes and listen to Chaim sing the words and their melodies that transcend communities. But the reason that everyone knows those melodies so well is that in their original form, there was only one or two melodies to them, and they were part of the Chazarat Hashats. They were, they were prayers that everyone was listening to to say amen after. So it became household. I was talking to Rabbi Amy about it today, and she literally told me when she would be at services with her grandmother in New York, she would be like, oh my God, the repetition, we just did it. And her grandmother said to her, this is the best part of the whole service. Sit back. This is the part that we all feel these same melodies. These are the words of Sim Shalom, Shalom Rav, peace to the entire world, the beauty and abundance of peace. Songs that really deeply resonate with our community today. And they're all known because we listen to them after we've said them privately for the sake of guaranteeing that everyone in the room says amen. But we don't do this, right? We often don't do the full recitation of the Amidah. Right. We also don't have weekday prayer here on a regular basis. So we don't have that same opportunity to be feeling these 18 blessings. But it's important to know the structure and shape of the 18 blessings because they're very telling to the overall arch and experience of our learning and narrative, right? Now, the Amidah is not repeated at Mariv. 
So if you are a regular shul goer three times a day, Shachrit, Mincha, and Mariv at Mariv, you don't do it. Why? Because Mariv was originally optional. It was the optional service. And so it wasn't obligatory the same way it was for Shachrit and for Mincha. And so the Amidah is not treated the same way either. But going to this repetition, the Chazan also adds a prayer called Kedusha, right? We don't say Kedusha in our own individual prayers. The, 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 the Chazan does, the leader does, which proclaims the holiness of God in the language that the angels are said to have used. It repeats words and it goes through this narrative of what the angels would use. And the Kedusha is said only when there is a minion, much like we were talking about with Kaddish and some other pieces. And it may not be interrupted for conversation. So like the Amidah itself, it should be said while people are standing. Now let's talk about the choreography. How is one supposed to stand? Are you just supposed to stand? Does anyone know what the rules are to the choreography of it? You are supposed to stand and place your feet together. together. Anyone know why? Well, I, I, you know, this may be like, fairytale Judaism, but I, I was remember being told that um, you were in the presence of a king, basically, that it, you were standing at attention, and the whole movement that you'll see a lot of people do of moving forward and then stepping back is all has to do with, it's kind of a, a sign of, it's almost like many- So you're talking about the three steps forward, three steps yeah, back. Exactly. So there is a dance move to this, that when the Amidah begins, you should take three steps uh three steps forward and three steps back. And that's actually to step out of the space you were in and change your form, much like the reason we stand. And some say it's this uh, idea that just like you're in the presence of God, you'd be in like the presence of a king. What would you do? You'd show your reverence by changing your space and maybe bowing forward. But the reason we put our feet together is often told in our tradition that our feet together is supposed to be symbolic of the angels. There is a lot of illusion that the angels actually didn't, they didn't, their feet, they stood with their feet together. Some even say they only had, like, they didn't have two feet, that the way their legs worked, like that the separation between humanity and the angels. And so we stand like the angels in order to bring ourselves to this elevated point. Our feet are together, even if one happens to be present and not praying, while the Kedusha is recited, one must stop whatever they're doing and join in. So you'll actually see this in some Orthodox shuls, whereas someone will be like reading a book during services. I mean, by the way, when I say someone, I mean like 60% of the participants in the room are likely reading a book. Why? Because they know this, this these prayers so much. But when they hear Kadosh, 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 when they hear this idea of the Kedusha, they stop whatever they're doing and they participate in for that moment. Because they have to, because it's this moment in which everyone's supposed to be unified together. And you're supposed to raise one slightly onto one's toes three times to say Kadosh, 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 to symbolize the movement that the angels did when reaching forward towards God. We are symbolizing the relationship of the angels with God and saying, we know there's an elevation that we can get to. Now, I giggled when I was little, but now I think it makes a lot of sense One thing that I learned as a teenager was that these prayers are so important that there are even rules as to how you should act if during the Amidah, uh, let's say a bodily function has to happen. And I'm not talking like needing to go to the bathroom. I'm saying like maybe needed to relieve a little bit of pressure from wherever. We don't have to get into the details of it. The rabbis actually say you should walk backwards to the back of the room, eight paces behind anyone else. Let whatever needs to happen, happen. 
wait until full dissipation of whatever that might be before stepping back into the space. Not only because, God forbid, you have that distraction during your prayer, it's even worse that you might risk distracting your community member during these prayers. These prayers are so important that the rabbis have rules of flatulence. That, I, again, I chuckled as a kid. It is funny. I mean, who doesn't like a good flatulence joke? But at the same time, the fact that the rabbis take it that seriously is really powerful. They don't want to corrupt this space. They feel that you can transform any space by standing, taking three steps forward and three steps back, doing the choreography, keeping your feet together, going up and down and up and down three times, bouncing forward. People believe that this had the opportunity to truly change pace. Yes. I do agree that it can change pace because like when I dive in, I do like bounce forward and backward. But my question is, what about like coughing and sneezing, for example? Do they have rules for that? Like I would imagine if you can control it, you are supposed to go to a space of not being disturbed. But actually, if we're going to go even farther into flatulence conversation, the rabbis are not so concerned with the second. They're not concerned with the sneeze. They're concerned with the smell. They want you to wait until it's gone. Because they don't want you to, it's not just an abrupt, like, yeah. like okay, someone dropped something. Someone, they're not worried about that. They're worried about a, a like deeper, longer, extended distraction of like, you smell that? <laughs> like the rabbis don't want you to stop and be like, you smell that? Like right in the middle of this prayer? Got to be like, hello, you're talking over here to me and you're stopping for the who dealt it, right? Like. That's not that that's what they're really concerned with is this almost distraction of like lowering the the holiness of the space and then one more piece are you walking backwards because of just like the like the what you're doing is like so holy you don't want to turn your back on it is that why you walk backwards like that okay yeah the rabbis when they talk about the rules of flatulence uh they want you facing the ark the the amidon is to be facing the ark and so they don't want you to turn your back to the ark in this moment in which it's opened and holy and in the presence of god so you will walk backwards so I'm feeling like a small child, um, which my husband accuses me of sometimes. Because you're giggling at the flatulence show. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You can count on it. Do people actually do this? Like in, in. I mean, I think to first understand that, we'd have to get a notion of how many people pass gas during services, which is not a statistic that we're really watching for on a regular basis. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've often wondered that, like, a lot of the problem with the exact conversation we're having is you have to have enough depth and knowledge inside of inside of uh, of of how the prayers are crafted to even know that one would do this. So I don't I, I think it's something that maybe one would learn in yeshiva or extended learning, but it's certainly not something that the grade school kids knew. So it, it really is like I think the rabbis created those rules less because they're like, no one's gonna pass gas, but more to be like. We want you to understand the power of the Amidah so much that we're going to start to teach more extensive rules that make you think, oh, I have to really think about what's going on in my personal space and how I'm affecting the community around me. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's, it's a fair question. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but I do know that the reason those rules are written are to truly elevate it. Because guess what? The rabbis do not care if you pass gas before the Baruch or the Shema. Or in front of Torah. They don't have, there's, there isn't rules of flatulence for Torah. You would think there might be. I mean, we can't touch it with our hand. We have to use a yod, but you can just pass gas all around it, right? Like they don't have these rules, but they do for the Amidah because it's, it's a, it's a difficulty in 
in not ruining the individualized space for your community, right? There's in some ways, the silliness of that rule really implies something deeper, which is that we are obligated to create space for individuals if we are going to be good community. If we're going to be good community, then we have to create the space for others. Uh, and, and that is a really important uh, a piece of this. And so all the other things we do are purely communal, but this is communal consciousness, not just communal activity. You have to be speaking audibly so that people can hear you, but speaking softly enough that you're leaving space for everyone else in the room. It is a set of prayers that encourages the consciousness of community, of knowing that community is there, even if you're not actively doing everything with them at the same moment. Any questions from the Zoom side before I continue? I see I see a, a lot of engagement. I just want to make sure I'm not going too fast or skipping anything that you guys want to talk about. Yes. Earlier, you said that one of the... Uh... Is it blessings or prayer in the Amidah? It's forgot to hear the prayer, but it's not at the beginning. Mm-mm. Do you know why that is or have any idea? So you actually know that prayer. Okay. So when we say our blessings, the well, there's two different parts to those prayers, right? The first of which is that we have prayers like uh Yuhiularatzon. And Yuhiularatzon says, May the words that I said be acceptable. May I not have wasted this time? Well, if you're going to pray for God to hear you or to accept your words, what you do is you say them all and then you go, I really hope you heard that. I really hope that the, what I said was resonating. I really hope what I said had value. I really hope you you heard it and it wasn't just into nothing. But if we say at the beginning, I hope you hear me, there is a a level of preemptive assumption of God's negligence that I think the rabbis are avoiding here by saying at the end, it's after you said all these things, you say, I hope you heard this. Like, I I hope you heard the bearing of my soul. But if I start a conversation with you and I go, Hey, I want to talk to you. And I hope you hear me. Right. Versus if I pour my heart out and I say, I I hope you had an opportunity to to hear the truth in my words. It just reads different and it, and it, and it projects different and it, and it speaks to a assumption of good on the side of our relationship to God. Any thoughts or questions again from this side before we kind of move forward? So the only difference between the Amidah of different services of different services of the day uh, is the final blessing, right? And the blessing is for peace. And like I said, you know them all. So in the Ashkenazi tradition, the shorter version of this blessing, starting with the way of Shalom Rav is said at Mincha and Mariv, but in uh, in the morning would be our, our Sim Shalom right? They don't use the same prayer of blessing. Now, uh, the reason for this, uh, that blessing for peace is based on the themes of the priestly blessing that are said in the time of the temple and that the priestly blessing was not said in afternoons or evenings. So in, in like Hasidic literature, the shorter version is said only at Mariv, uh, indicating again, a different level of, of obligation. And in the Sephardi tradition, they don't say it. They don't use that blessing. And there's another few changes to the Amidah based on the time of the year. Some of those changes are between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There are lines that we add inside of there. And some of them are that depending on which half of the year, we would say a blessing of the rain. Because remember, one of our blessings was about the fertility of the land of, of Israel. And so inside of those, we say two things. We say, Mashiv HaRuach Umorid HaGashem or Morid HaTal, meaning let the, let the rains come down. Um, 
or this Mashiv Haruach Umarida Gashem, which is this line of like a, let there be this, this great spirit and winds and energy that allows us to have our crops grow. So it's in the season of needing rain and in the season of needing our crops to actually do their job and for our harvesting. And so depending on what part of the year, we actually change the words that we say to the Amidah. Because again, this is for the community's well-being. And if the, if the community can't eat, the well-being is gone. You look, you look a little uh, perplexed. No, I'm thinking... Because I'm just remembering, you know, all the times and all the different communities I've been in reciting the Amidah. And um, I, I guess I, I can't, if I'm like in a conservative synagogue or in an Orthodox synagogue, I can't get, no matter how hard I try, I can't get to the end before everybody else. Like I'm, I'm like a third the way through and we're done. They, you know, it's like the people, they, they're like speed speed demons you know ah. and i'm and I, I guess what i'm thinking and it's not appropriate and i don't mean to be challenging or anything like that but what's more important like quality or quantity because well this is but this is the real question and why a lot of orthodox i mean i told you i met with a, i was talking with a rabbi on a panel and he said i i don't do prayer anymore well that that, that was a bigger question than i didn't want to uh you know is prayer kind of training wheels and once and you get over it and you can kind of fly without the training wheels? You already have the answer to that. It's amen. These prayers are created to give people a language, to give people words to use. I often tell people when they're in times of mourning that one of the blessings of Kaddish is that you have to say something. You want to honor your loved one and you're not ready to form the words. Here are some words. Say these words for now. Right. You don't have to have the depth of words yet. Say these words. Our I, tradition I gives was, you the gift of words. If I was and less so, yes. of a rule follower, I would skip. Because what happens is I'll get I'll get through the first nine and then everybody's done. And yes, because so, they can blast through them right, and right. they so know them so well. Start at number, but the, it's the last ones. It's the last 10 I, that I'm more interested in than the beginning. Because the beginning is sort of setting up the whole, the whole, I mean, there's like a very logical sequence which I'm sure you'll get into in a second, you know, like, how do you, if you're addressing God, you know, something sublime and, and un, you know, speakable, like, how do you, like, it's like if you have a meeting with the CEO, right? Like, how, how do you start that conversation? Like, you start by flattering them, probably, you know, and then you sort of work your way towards, and, you know, I'd like a raise, you know, like, I, I and it's almost like, I want to get to the, can I, you know, can it rain a little bit? Um, you know, I got these crops here. I'm really worried about them. Um, so I don't know. Uh, th- that's why, that's why I have this puzzled look on my face because yeah, a thousand so, things are going on. So what I will say to that is this Orthodox prayer is keva before kavana. It's regiment and, and content before emotion. And so, yeah, they can blast through the 18 prayers. Well, so here's the thing. It, it's about how you approach prayer, right? In an Orthodox community, saying the prayer is checking the box. You will hope is that if you do all the things that check the box, if you do all the things that you are obligated to do by halakha, by Jewish law, you are inevitably bringing yourself closer to God. And more liberalized reformed tradition says, if you're not doing things to intentionally feel closer to God, it doesn't matter what words you're saying. And that rabbi I was talking to said, I can do all these blessings at 3 a.m. You wake me up, up in the coldest sweat of night and say, do this blessing. I can just do it by memory. 
which means it can't have the same depth anymore to him. So the community uses it, and he knows that he's obligated to do it, but spontaneous prayer is what matters to him. Spontaneous conversational prayer with the divine is what matters to him. So the answer is, yeah, you're not going to be as fast as them. They say it two to three times a day, every single day without fail. They know those prayers so well that it's like, uh, I don't know, think of your most beloved song from childhood and the fact that you know every single word of the song still and can do it. I have friends who can do those word, those songs incredibly fast, right? Because they just, they know them. They know them cold. That's what you're up against. But in order to, in order to facilitate the kavanah, you have the chazarat hashats. You have the cantor repeating all of it and you saying amen because now you have to sit through it. You have to hear each one. You have to reflect on it. So yeah, it is It is a bit of a race and it's often difficult to keep up with those who daven daily with these words because it's 18 blessings and you're like, I, I'm not like, but for them, they're, it's 18 songs they've known forever. Right, but you know, if the idea of prayer is to get closer to God, is that is that the or to at least wrap your mind around it? Isn't that the is that the purpose of prayers? The purpose of prayers to help bring us closer to God. Yeah, right. What if, and I'm I'm speaking personally. What if there's other things like I I get a lot more out of um, talking about it basically and learning about it than I do than I do from the prayer. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that, but I, you know, if it's a, you know, that's why I'm here now, you know, it's like, this is, this for me is, is almost, is is actually more fun than reciting the Shema, just trying to understand what it is. What, what if, what if that's how you get closer? So, I, I mean, I, I think it is for some people, right? And I think that the whole point of understanding the origin of prayer is to say, I don't need you to say all the words. I need you to know all the intentionality. So I'll give you, for instance, there's another prayer that we're not talking about. Havivenu is a prayer inside the Amidah. It's a central prayer of Jewish liturgy, like we've been talking about, right? But it's a condensed version of all 13 middle blessings because the rabbis go, if you don't have time to say all 13, then we need you to. Here's a condensed one. Here's a a catch-all. And Havivenu means causes us to understand. So it literally... uh, it is it is the rabbi's way of saying, okay, you don't have time to do the full 18. Say Havivenu in between. Do Havivenu. It counts for those other 13. Now you can catch back up three before Havivenu, three after. Right? And the rabbis are saying it's such an important, uh, these ideas behind them, the breakdown of the ideas as I read you, and I'll read them to you again. This breakdown is so necessary that we are actually going to make sure that you can condense them because the first three are praise of God's covenant, of God's power, and of God's holiness. But the petition ones are asking for wisdom and repentance and forgiveness and deliverance and healing and for and for the rains and for the gathering from the exiles. May we be together again and the restoration of just judges. May we not have wicked judgment in our lands and for the punishment of heretics and the reward of the righteous and rebuilding of Jerusalem and the coming of the Moshiach and God's ability to hear us. So I was like, those are important things. These are things we long for. You don't have time for them? Say, and then at the end, you're going to do a Thanksgiving. You're going to ask, you're going to say thanks for worship, for gratitude, and for peace. And that is what the rabbis are like so worried about. But in different moments, they actually, uh, in different parts of our tradition, these orders have changed. And the amount of them has changed. And so quite frankly, like you have to remember again, 
this is like a seven centuries worth of compilation. And, and the end result of these blessings is pretty new, right? Second, third century is pretty new. And so we're talking about less than 2000 years of prayer for something that really holds steady to 3000 plus years of prayer. Uh, Helene, I saw your hand up earlier, but I need you to unmute. I need you. Yeah, to un- I had a question way back when um, about backing, um, backing up when we're facing Torah. Is is that the same premise when we're facing um, the the wall in Jerusalem where we back up? That is why many people back up. up. Yeah. Yes, that is why many people back up in Jerusalem as well to not reduce the to a not turn your back on on the the closest holiest space and b to keep this like soaking in the sweetness and awe of that space for as long as you can okay thank you i'm glad it was about backing up in the wall and not back to flatulence because i was afraid to get caught in that cycle so, yeah, so see, thank I think you we for, ran that through well <laughs> Yeah, tonight's podcast, uh, The History of Between <laughs> Prayers, the rabbi talked about passing gas. Uh, if you made it to another part of that service, that is what we discussed. All right, so but yes. I guess, the, I guess the same thing would apply, right? <laughs> now, now I will wall. say, when I say that this, that this set of text is, is extremely holy and important, we also find pieces of it in the Geniza fragments, in other moments of finding parts of our history. And so one of the questions are, when Gamliel turns this into the Amida blessings, when he takes these different pieces of blessings that the men of great assembly created and turns them into assembly, what people ask is, what are the motive, means, and opportunities at this moment? But what exactly, here's my favorite piece, that he had some role in orchestrating the final version of the Amidah seems plain, but the nature of his contribution is not quite so obvious. What Gamaliel is able to do is he's able to reshift the obligations and focus of an entire group of people based on these blessings. Think of the structure alone, like we said, to start, because you said it, I want to get to the last 10, but it makes a lot more sense to be making sure I do this in order. Why? Because if you don't start with a little bit of praise and recognition of God's ability, then when you're asking for things, you're not asking directly that God give you wisdom. You're asking that we be in an opportunity for our community to, to retain wisdom and to, to gather wisdom and to gather repentance and to have the chance for forgiveness and to be able to experience deliverance. And Gamliel creates a humility to the people that is going to be really integrally important as they live out this existence in other lands with other people. And, and so the Amidah becomes really important in the shaping of the psyche of the Jewish people that are only just being shaped. There isn't this depth of Jewish tradition yet. They are still transitioning out of temple Judaism and into rabbinic Judaism. And these prayers create quite the shape for it. So, there's another way to look at this. Some of these petition prayers are personal and some are national. Wisdom, personal, repentance, personal, forgiveness, personal, deliverance, personal. But the land of Israel and its fertility, national. The gathering from the exile, national. The restoration of judges, national. The punishment of the heretics, national. They're saying, I hope our community stays without heretics. Uh, the reward for the righteous, national. The rebuilding of Jerusalem, national. For God to hear our prayer, personal. 
And so there's also this idea that half of the prayers are for our own individual relationship to God, and half of them are for us to all have the opportunity to speak on behalf of our community. The Amidah are a really interesting set of blessings for so many reasons. But, but what, I, what I really think is so important to take away from this conversation is that what made them so important were the rabbis trust in this set of blessings to be the consciousness of the people. You open with Adonai Svaratai May I have the ability to say these words? And you close with, I hope I didn't waste that opportunity. If we all approached life with the same understanding that the opening and closing of these prayers, it would have a different level and weight and gravitas to the words we said. I hope I have the chance to say them. Okay, well, now that you say those words, then at the end, I hope I did right by that opportunity. I hope I didn't squander that. I hope I used my platform and and elevated the experience. I hope that I am able to do justice to the opportunities I was given. That's powerful. And it's something that if we don't think about in that context, we would lose the reminder that's so important. Don't go wasting your chance. It's like being present, which is so hard to do. And that's what the rabbis are trying to do here. Hey, you're a little sleepy. Stand up. Now you stood up. Take three steps forward, you know, three steps back. Like it's, it's like right off the bat of the Cupid shuffle, right? Like you're, you're in line on the dance floor and it's like hop to the left, hop to the right. That's what the Amidai is, right? Stand up three steps forward, three steps back. You present now let's do this thing at the end. Let's, let's say, I hope I did right by that. Almost the rest of the service is building. Isn't it building to this point? Building up and winding down. Well, build that's yeah. So it's not only you, you can't, you can't, Start the engine cold turkey, you're kind of... And that's why the rabbis call this tefillah. They literally call it prayer, as if the rest of the prayer is just... Yeah. We could have used this entire course to just talk about the Amidah, because there's so many blessings contained inside of it. And some of those blessings also change, by the way, and you know them in the high holiday time. Look, it's when we add Zohrenu, it's when we do these different pieces. And so you, there's a lot of our literature and our theology that's baked into this core piece of tefillah, of these standing blessings. And so if you take one thing away from tonight, I really do encourage you to consider this notion of what does it mean when we pray? If we get stuck with the keva of it all, if we get stuck with the regiment and and the rules and it doesn't feel like it resonates to us, what were the rabbis trying to accomplish with that prayer? And if we can emulate that attempt instead of the specific prayer, I think we're still doing right by our tradition. But the Amidah is a reminder that like sometimes you also just need to say the words and then from there try to build in that intentionality. And and yeah. yeah just one final. What, what what I really always liked about this, the combination of, of helplessness and agency, that's kind of a weird mix. You know, on the one hand, you're you're confessing your powerlessness and at the same time you're sort of under the, you know, it's an interesting negotiation. You're confessing your powerlessness and making demands. Yes, exactly. Which is I, but, I, but I think, I think again, that's, that's the humility piece of it. Imagine a tradition that says the center prayers more or less harp on the hopelessness of us. If we don't have this relationship with God, 
Imagine the humility and the wherewithal and the focus and the perspective that a tradition has to have to say, you know what you need? You need to not feel like you are on top of the world all the time. You need to realize that the obligation of community means sometimes you have to beg on our behalf and sometimes you have to feel like you aren't actually, you can't do it all on your own. You need this relationship. You need God. Uh, I hope everyone uh, enjoyed this this lesson on our Amidah blessings. Uh, if you'd like to say the Amidah blessings or go over the choreography of flatulence, we can just stand in the sanctuary and take three steps forward, three steps back. Um, I uh, look forward to our, I believe we have one final session coming up. I could be wrong about that. So don't quote me. There could be two. And I'm pretty sure we have one final session. And then of course, I would love to hear everyone's thoughts and perspectives on how to continue this kind of learning. So I hope everyone has a wonderful night. Thank you to all of you who joined us on Zoom. For those of you listening to us on the podcast, I hope you enjoyed that less than linear direction of learning. As we always say, uh, we learn in concentric circles, or in my case, uh, it's like a spaz star of some kind. Um, Either way, I will talk with all of you soon and have a great night.